Well, good morning to all of you, and uh, it's good to be back again, and uh, it's good to see that uh, I think that we are almost in full attendance today based on what I can see on on Discord. Uh, I think that it generally shows up. I think we'll all be, uh, I think all of us will be in, uh, in attendance this morning. But in, in any event, that it's good to be back, and I hope that you have had a good week. And God is good, and uh, God has always been good, and God has blessed us uh, in, in many different ways. And uh, it's really good to be back with, with the saints. So today we're going to carry on with part 2D, uh, call it part 2D because it is, we are looking at the characteristics of agape love. So in, in part 2C, that was our last uh, lesson, uh, our, our last sermon of the series, uh, we, we have learned that agape love is a, uh, includes kindness and kindness is an act. Yeah, so all all the all the all the characteristics of agape uh, that is defined in First Corinthians thirteen, they are in the verb form. We know that verbs are action words. So in other words, that agape is not just a an an attribute; it's an act itself. So where kindness and from our last lessons we can see was an act that was specifically aimed at providing our help, uh, which is customized to the individual's need. You know, and serving his highest, uh, highest good. Yeah, even though that we have seen that, even though that sometimes it may not be a very nice thing. Uh, you know, kindness is not just niceness. Kindness may not be nice sometimes, but necessary uh, for the highest good of somebody. But whatever it is, that uh, the outcome of agape kindness will always be good because it seeks the highest good of the person, uh, you know, the recipient of, of, our, of our act of kindness. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue with our consideration of Paul's third characteristic, which is uh, which begins a list of uh, characteristics which are not of agape love. Yeah, these are characteristics which are not of agape love. So from here, that we will we will find that Paul will begin a list of eight negative characteristics, which are also not of agape love. So let's let's bear that in mind. These are not the the uh, the the acts of agape love. So the first on his negative list uh, in first is found in first Corinthians 13 verse 4 again uh, that is love does not envy uh, the word envy comes from a the greek word zelu uh, or i don't know how it's actually pronounced in the greek but that's how i see it uh, zelu or, or zulu you know uh, which some writers believe that, that, that this word is actually what they call an onomatopoeic word uh, I know this is a quite a, a, a you know a word hard, quite difficult to pronounce. Ono, ono metal point word. You know what it means is basically that uh, ono metal point words are words which mimic or you know uh, or imitate the sounds of something. For example, like sometimes you see in uh, in, in in words like ahem, isn't it? A h a m, which mimics the sound of a cough, or the word ouch, you know, uh, for pain. Or ha ha ha, you know, uh, which for laughter. So these are all uh, onomatopoeic words. So uh, this is a new uh, English word that you learn. You know that uh, you, you can uh, you can impress your friends with it. Uh, you know, you say that that is an onomatopoeic word. So yeah, so z- uh, the word zelo from the Greek, uh, according to some writers, they they believe that this actually came from the sound of something that uh, that sounds like the something that was boiling, like boiling water, for example. You know, maybe that that was how they got the word from, and. Uh, this came from 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 another word zelos and which which also came from the the, the root word zio uh, zio which means basically it means to boil something that's bubbling with heat or boiling uh, our english word zeal came from this greek family of words that's where we get our zeal from the english word zeal so let's get this uh, literal meaning clear in our minds 
Yeah, so the, the Greek word, the literal meaning of this Greek word means to bubble or boil over something. You know, like, a, like hot water boiling. So, uh, so remember this image. Zillow, the word Zillow refers to something that's boiling, boiling hot. Okay, so keep this in mind as we go through the sermon. So, of, of course, as with every literal meaning, there are always metaphorical meanings uh, from the literal picture itself of bubbling and, and, and boiling. Uh, so, uh, the commentator, Anthony Tesselton, he said that Zillow, uh, I quote this in your notes again, applies to the notion of burning or boiling, metaphorically to boiling, burning or boiling emotions, stance or will for earnest striving, for passionate zeal, or for burning envy. So, Tesselton said that whether it is constructive zeal or destructive envy depends on the context. So we look. We had to look at the context to determine its meaning. That's what Tillerson is basically saying. So whenever we see uh, the mention of Zillow in the New Testament, our starting point should always be to take it in a lit, its literal boiling or bubbling hot uh, meaning first. And if that makes no sense, then we apply the metaphorical sense to, according to the context, uh, where we need to determine whether this bubbling or boiling picture is applicable to one's emotions or passions. And if so, whether this emotion is commendable in the scriptures or condemnable by, by God. So, we, so that, you know, this is how we determine the, the meaning of, of this, this interesting word here. So when the, this word is being used in First Corinthians 13 verse 4, where Paul said that love does not envy or love does not zilu, uh, we know Paul has intended this to be a negative condemnable sense because this is not part and parcel of agape love. But then, of course, that begs the question, uh, what did Paul mean by love is not burning or boiling? That's the literal meaning. Isn't it? What does he mean by that? Boiling and, or burning of what? What is it that, 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 that Paul was referring to? Of course, that the most of the uh, translators of the New Testament prefers to use the word jealousy or jealous or envy. I think that that, okay, that is a reasonable translation because jealousy or envy is a form of extreme boiling passion, isn't it? Uh, from 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 the human standpoint, uh, you know, uh, as far as the human standpoint is concerned, we know that envy or jealousy is the sin of selfishness that actually despises the betterment or success of others. So I think this is a very basic definition. People are jealous of others is when people others are doing better than them, so they they become very jealous. Lansky in his commentary said uh, said this. I quote again in your notes there. The quotation says this: "Love envies not." Uh, is not uh, is without selfish zeal the passion of envy and jealousy when one sees another prosperous rich high gifted it is pleased and glad of his advantages love never detracts from the praise that is due another nor tries to make him seem less or, or self seem more by comparison that the practice of the world is the opposite the negatives used in Paul's description suggests corresponding positives. Instead of being envious, love is satisfied with its own portion and glad of another's greater portion." Unquote. So this is taken from Lansky's commentary on First Corinthians, Corinthians. So Lansky has actually aptly described what it means by envy for us. Envy or jealousy is that bubbling, boiling, selfish passion that hates to see the success and betterment of others. You see, so uh, that is the basic uh, notion of uh, of this extreme, uh, you know, uh, p 
passion and emotions that come from, from us. Uh, William Barclay tells us that Zillow, when used in the condemnable sense, can be manifested in two forms. So he's saying that now you look at Zillow uh, in the sense of envy, it can be used in, it can, envy can come in two forms. So I quote again, it's in your notes. The one who covers the possessions of other people. And such envy is very difficult to avoid because it is a very human thing. The other, which is the second form, is worse. It grudges the very fact that others should have what it has not. It does not so much want things for itself as wish that others had not got them. Meanness of soul can sink no further than that." Unquote. So again, uh, this is from uh, one of Barclay's book, books uh, that uh, he, he talks about, uh, Envy. So here we see that envy is actually the direct opposite of kindness. Uh, we know where kindness is sacrificial and giving, while envy is that burning desire that wants everything for itself and hates to see the betterment of others. You know, for example, that you can see in Acts seven. Uh, you know, talking about uh, the, the writer uh, talks about the story in Genesis thirty-seven uh, concerning Joseph, where Acts seven verse nine says, "And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him." So the patriarchs here were the sons of Jacob, uh, you know, that are the brothers of Joseph. And where the Bible tells us in Genesis 37, that, uh, you know, his verse 11, and his brother envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So basically that uh, the brothers were very jealous or envious of Joseph being the youngest son of Jacob. Uh, and we know that the J Jacob gave Joseph a, a coat of many colors. In those days, I mean, that, you know, colored, Material, textile material was very hard to come by, very expensive. Unlike today, we find we find all sorts of colors. Uh, so for for Joseph to give him a coat of many colors uh, implies basically that you know that the that the favor that Joseph had for yeah Jacob had for Joseph his son, and as a result of that we know from Genesis thirty seven that uh, that this eventually led to his brothers uh, you know uh, coming together, plan this kidnap they kidnapped Joseph and sold him off as a slave. But it was not just uh, Joseph's brothers who were envious or jealous of Joseph. Uh, Luke also tells us that of the account of the Jewish religious establishment who were jealous of the apostles' power of miracles and popularity among the people. That was found in Acts 5 verses 17 and 18, where the scripture says this, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. So here the New King James Version used the word uh, indignation, uh, which is actually from the Greek word zilu, same the same Greek word. But they ref this refers to the Sadducees, the envy of the apostles' superior powers of miracles, yeah, because the apostles were able to heal this man from the beautiful gate, the crippled man, uh, and then that led to their jealousy, and hence their, you know, their subsequent arrest and imprisonment. James uh, James tells us something about envy as well, the sin of envy, in James chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, where James writes that, he said, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, de demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So James basically tells us of this self-destructive nature of the sin of envy. You know, that it, it, it actually creates bitterness in one's self. And the, the reason is because the envy is by its very nature a very 
uh, it comes from a very selfish heart, isn't it? The selfishness of heart. And this leads to, as James said, that it leads to instability and all kinds of evil fruits from there on. Yes, people who are jealous are not very stable mentally, you know, and it appears that they are always upset, they're always angry, they're always envious, very bitter all the time, and it, it, it's very unstable. So that's why James talked about it. It's very, it creates instability in, in one's life, and then follow from there every evil fruits. So from this passage, we, we, we can learn that the sin of envy is just not uh, a, just a self-destructive sin. And we have seen from the examples from the apostles from Joseph's case, uh, it can also affect others in an evil way. And how deadly this sin to self, you know, can be seen actually in, in Proverbs chapter 14, where the Proverbs 14 describes how envy can eat right into the very core of our being. You know, Proverbs 14 verse 30 uh, says this, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bone. You see? So it eats right to your very core. And Proverbs 20, 20, 27 also tells us of this destructive power of the sin of envy. Now verse 4 of Proverbs 27 says this, uh, Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? So what the writer is basically saying is that wrath and anger, they are like torrents of water. You know how torrents of water is like tsunami, for example. Unstoppable. Nobody can stop that. But jealousy, according to the, to the writer of Proverbs 27, is equally as powerful. And the writer is basically saying that when it unleashes itself, it is also like anger and wrath, unstoppable. Because no one can stand in, in its way. Who is able to stand before jealousy? So this is, this is what it is. That it, is it is a powerful thing. Jealousy is a very powerful uh, force uh, of sin. But, and I think that there's another point this Proverbs has also raised concerning envy is that this the sin of jealousy is not static but mobile like the torrents of water it moves you know it will act when it acts to see the downfall and destruction of its targets that uh, is usually unstoppable so you know that it is a very very deadly and very mobile sin i think that this is the reason why as i mentioned earlier before that paul has in first Corinthians 13 4 uh, you know that use use a verb which is an action word to describe envy. Uh, love does not envy, or love is not envious, uh, because envy moves. You know, it, 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 it is actually mobile, it moves. And it will transform itself into some other form of sin, which we will see very shortly. For example, wrath, anger, and hatred, which we have seen implied from those examples that we have earlier from the Old Testament and the New Testament. The reason why that it moves and why it, cre it, it can produce anger, wrath, and hatred, uh, because that these emotions of wrath, anger, hatred, they are like zilu, boiling, burning passions and emotions. Isn't it? All these are all boiling and, and burning uh, passions and emotions found in men. And it, you, we see the, we see a good illustration of, of these, uh, you know, in from from the first murder of human history. Uh, in Genesis chapter 4, you know, where Cain murdered his brother Abel. And this was due to the mobile nature of the sin of envy that led to anger and then hatred and finally to murder. Genesis 4 verses, verses 4 and 5, where, the, where Genesis says this, Abel also brought the first fruit of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So this is a very familiar story for us of Cain and Abel, that how Cain was angry with his brother, 
because God actually had respected uh, Abel's sacrifice. In other words, what the writer was basically saying was that he was envious, he was jealous of his brother, you know, because of, of how God reacted to, to, uh, to Abel's sacrifice while his own had been rejected. So instead of reflecting upon his, where he has gone wrong uh, in, in, in his sacrifice, his envy against his brother was so intense to the point that he became very angry and he hated his brother so much that he decided to murder him. And John, in, in fact, that reflected, reflected this story in First John chapter 3, uh, verses 11 to 15, where John writes that he says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is the murderer, and you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John raised the example of Cain's murder of his brother and connected that to hatred. It was hatred, yes, and the hatred stemmed from jealousy over Abel's sacrifice. You see, so that all these sins are connected, and that's why that uh, you know from this example here, we we can we can be almost certain that when the sin of envy raises its ugly head, the sins of wrath, anger, and hatred are usually not very far behind. And I think that this for this point itself, that Taylor, the lexicalist, Taylor, Taylor's lexicon was right in saying that uh, zilu zilu by definition should also include hatred and anger. Because hatred and anger are also some of the bubbling and boiling passions of human of humankind. You see? So this this means that when this Greek word zilu is used, especially when it's used in a negative form, we can we can we can understand now that zilu is more than just envy, more than jealousy. It should include in its definition the other extreme passions and emotions like selfish anger, hatred. Because all these are associates of jealousy. It is the sin of jealousy. From such examples, we, we can see how the sin of envy, you know, that when, when it, it, it doesn't usually work alone. You see, it's not a stand-alone sin because that, that, they are, that it will produce further ugly fruits uh, where the New Testament informs us, in fact, there, there were some other fruits of envy that we, is worth considering as well. But it's just not the sins of anger and, and hatred uh, that are the evil associates of envy. The New Testament tells us they are, you know, uh, the further associates for us. For example, in Romans chapter 1, verse 29, where, where Paul writes that he says, Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, there you are, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers. So here we find the Bible telling us the other associates of envy that follow from there. Murder, we see it in Cain and Abel's case. Strife, deceit, evil thoughts, you know, or evil-mindedness. Paul tells Timothy as well concerning envy in 1 Timothy 6 verse 4, where he said that he is proud knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions. So you see that the associates are very similar to Romans 1. 
you know, that for that follows from envy. You got strife, you got reviling. Reviling is basically speaking badly of someone or evil suspicions, suspicious minds. And then Paul in First Corinthians three continues in verse three. He also he said that for you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So Paul here condemned the brethren at Corinth uh, as being carnal minded. Means basically that they are their minds are of the world, worldly minded basically. Because of their envy, you see, their jealousy led to strife. Strife is basically arguments and divisions within the church at Corinth. And Paul condemned them for that. You see the the the, 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 the familiar associates of the sin of envy. And then in Galatians five twenty one, Paul writes that he says, Envy murders drunkenness, reveries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul here certified that those who are envious will disqualify themselves from the kingdom of God. So this shows us that envy is just not a hidden emotion. Some of the heart, sometimes people say, oh, envy is just a harmless sin, you know, he's just, he's just jealous in his heart, no harm done. No, the Bible describes it and defines it as such that it is not a a static, passive, just a bubbling anger in the heart. It is an active evil capable of causing harm to others, which we have seen from the examples. And more particularly in this case that Paul talks about in Galatians 5.21, once eternal salvation, he disqualifies himself from, from the kingdom of God. And hence we find in Romans 13 verse 13 that Paul writes that he says that, let us walk properly as in the day, not in rivalry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. So Paul here tells the, the Christians that, you know, as Christians, as, as children of God, we need to put away sins, of course, amongst other sins, sins like strife and envy. Because that all those accompanying evils that, you know, that emerges from envy are harmful, are dangerous. And hence, we must put them away and walk properly as in the day, as Paul said here. So from here, we, we find that the Bible's teaching is that we must never see the sin of envy as a standalone sin. Envy is the mother of all other sins and evils, which the Bible examples have shown us earlier. So now, going back to 1 Corinthians 13, 4, that we have seen why, how, how Paul said that agape love is not envious. To add to that, I think, angry or hateful. I think that is a, that is a more comprehensive uh, uh, translation of it. So when such an evil heart appears, especially with envy, within any relationship, and especially when it comes to the church, it will lead to brethren being angry at, or hateful of one another. Because envy and its associate comes along. It will also cause brethren to see one another as suspicious competitors. Because remember that there is com there's this competitive spirit in, in envy as well. Instead of seeing brethren as comrades in the Lord. And this will cause strife, division, evil suspicions, evil mindedness, and so on and so forth. And this will in in inevitably destroy the church. And that's why Paul wrote about it in, in 1 Corinthians. So instead of harboring such sinful bubbling and boiling passions, Paul in Philippians 1 actually shows us how uh, we should consider and treat our brethren without this negative, boiling, uh, bubbling feeling. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse, verse 15, 
verses 15 down to 18. You see how Paul uh, treated other brethren. Paul said this, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter are of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. So Paul was writing the letter to the Philippians from prison. He was in a prison cell. And Paul said that, you know, although that he was chained up and locked up in prison, the gospel has not been held uh, with him, you know, and became, uh, you know, uh, locked up. Because of Paul, if you read uh, early, the earlier parts of Philippians 1, you, you, you will see that Paul said that, well, I may be in prison, but I was still able to preach the gospel to the lost palace guards who were guarding the prison from inside. Uh, so the, the guards have got the opportunity to hear the gospel when Paul was in, pre in prison. And as a result of that, Paul said that, you know, that the brethren from, from the outside, uh, when they heard about Paul's uh, work in the prison, they became very bold. And then they started going about preaching the gospel outside. So in other words, that, uh, you know, that the, the brethren were not frightened by the, by the fact that Paul, in the course of the preaching of the gospel, became a prisoner uh, that might affect them adversely. So they, they became courageous when they heard that, oh yeah, prison, the prison cell did not actually hold the gospel back in Paul, which is Paul's case. So they were emboldened to preach the gospel from the outside. But the problem is this, uh, for some brethren, you know, some brethren saw Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity to try to outdo Paul in the preaching of the gospel. That's why Paul said that some preached out of envy and strife because they saw Paul as a competitor. You see? Because Paul was getting quite popular in that sense. So, and therefore they, they were jealous of him. That's why they, some preached Christ uh, for even from envy and strife. So that was what Paul, they, Paul was talking about in verse 15 of Philippians 1. But for Paul himself, having heard the news that the, some of them were preaching out of envy and strife, Paul was not actually jealous of these preachers who were doing, perhaps doing a good job in the sense of preaching the gospel, sowing the seed out there, in spite of their envious and strifeful hearts, but that they were, they were preaching Christ. The, the reason why, why Paul was not jealous or envious of these preachers is because Paul has never seen himself as, as you call, the king of the hill preacher. You know, that he, he never seen himself as the top-notch preacher sitting right on top uh, of the preacher's hill, constantly fighting against competitors, you know, and preventing them from <laughs> overtaking his throne as far as the preaching work was concerned. Paul never, never saw himself that way. So long to Paul, so long as the truth of Christ was preached faithfully, uh, no matter who the preacher was, whether he, Paul said, whether he preached out envy, whether he preached out strife, if he preaches the truth, I mean, God will judge him for, for, his, for, his, for his heart's condition, but the truth is out there. For that matter itself, Paul said, that I rejoice in it and I will rejoice. Because to Paul, there was no jealousy about the, you know, the, the, work, of Christ, for the work of Christ. This is noble work and there is no competition, you see. So there's no competition. No, no preacher is better than the another. You know, because that Paul to Paul, his brethren are not competitors, but fellow workers for God's glory. So that's how Paul saw it. Having said this itself, that, that this reminds me of what I saw, I've seen in Facebook, I think it was sometime last year, a few years ago, where I think some, some brethren from the church, I think it was in, 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 in Africa, in Nigeria, I think, 
they 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 were organ they were organizing an event what they call preaching competition. You know, preaching competition to see who preached the best sermons. I mean, I I I I thought that this is ridiculous because at the end of the day, is that uh, I I think I did mention something on on the comment on Facebook that the preaching work is to glorify God and there is no competition in it. And I I can't I can't see how someone could judge a competition and say who is a better preacher. Well, on what contents do you judge on? I mean, for Paul here, you see that for Paul, there is no competition when it comes to preaching on the gospel. You know that if Christ is preached, God is glorified. All of us should rejoice in it. And why should there be a competition when it comes to to the, to the preaching of the gospel itself? Which is very sad that uh, you know the brethren has taken this sort of this sort of uh, attitude towards the, the such a glorious and noble work uh, as preaching. So we see that Paul, in pre- writing from the prison, uh, he wasn't disturbed by the fact that uh, somebody was trying to outdo him. And if, if they are trying to outdo him, Paul said, "Thumbs up for you, give you the give you the give you the you know the lights." Go ahead and preach Christ, and I will rejoice in it. It doesn't matter, even if I, even if you're better than me. I think that's the way that the church should work. But this is interestingly that this is a very, uh, you know, a, a stark contrast from the Paul that we used to know when he was Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee. Now, when Paul was a, a Pharisee, his attitude towards his ministry, as you call for God, was very different. Uh, Galatians one uh, verses thirteen to fourteen gives us a hint of it. Uh, as to how Paul looked at his work in those days as a Pharisee. Uh, Galatians 1.13 says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced it in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly jealous or, or zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul here actually hinted to us how competitive he was in Judaism as a Pharisee then. You know, where he tried to outdo his contemporaries and he succeeded. You know, he, he rose to, 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 to a, a very uh, good standing, uh, you know, in the eyes of his contemporaries as a Pharisee. But now, we find Paul the Apostle, a servant, a slave of Christ, held in prison while there were some other competitive spirited brethren out there who were trying to outdo him in the preaching of the gospel in order basically to humiliate him, to put him down, to discredit his authority. We find that this Paul was very different. Instead of being envious and jealous about it, Paul said, I rejoice in, uh, in the Lord. You know, that the gospel is preached out there in truth. Now, the reason is because that Paul no longer looked at himself as the king of the hill, but as a sinner. You know, that Paul knew how bad a sinner he was. And he knew that in spite of his own wickedness, the Lord has been so merciful towards him. You know, you find that in First Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. And for that itself, that Paul has always been, was always grateful to God for saving him and for privileging him with the ministry of the gospel. Especially to him, the chief of sinners, as you would call him. He didn't see himself as the king of the hill, he sees the king of sinners. Hence, that we find that Paul's life has been changed so dramatically from that of a competitive uh, spirited Pharisee to a humble slave of Christ and apostle, where his life was always lived on the basis of gratitude towards God and in humility of service for God's glory and honor and in service to others. And we know this is the, this is the mindset of Paul because Paul tells us himself in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 5, where Paul said that, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos but ministers? The word ministers means servants. 
by whom you ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. See Paul's mindset and how he has learned to look at himself in the light of Christ's sacrifice for him was that it has caused him to realize that he was actually a nobody before God. Unlike his days of being the somebody in amongst uh, the Pharisees in Judaism. And this mindset of his in, in the light of the gospel has removed that selfish competitive spirit in him. You know, as he put on Christ in his church and as he strived to work with other brethren, as part of the united body of Christ where each and every member was encouraged to see themselves as no better than anyone, nor see themselves as competitors, but as fellow slaves of Christ, serving Christ hand in hand to their own individual best abilities for the glory of God. So in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul, Paul also reveals to us this. In verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9, he said that, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more win them more. And in verse 23 says that, Now I do this for the gospel's sake, that I may be, I be partaker of it with you. So Paul here says, you see, and he shows us how we today as well can remove that spirit of envy, anger, and hatred uh, you know, uh, with his own life's example. Even though we know that Paul was an apostle, but Paul has never seen himself as such, but a, the least of the apostles and as a slave or a servant to all. And we know that from 1 Corinthians 15 verses 9 to 11, where Paul said this. He said that, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain. But I labor more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. So we can see the reason why that Paul was never uh, any more competitive and jealous of, of other brethren because that he, his, his drive and zeal in the preaching of the gospel of Christ was not out of a competitive spirit but out of gratitude towards God because of who he was. He always remembered who he was, the chief of sinners and the mercy of God. So this is, brethren, this is the attitude that will remove envy from our lives. If we were to remember who and where we were before Christ came to our lives, we, we were like, as the hymn Amazing Grace said, a wretch like me. You know, we were spiritually wrecked until Jesus came into our lives to save us from our sins. The thought of how amazing God's grace is towards us ought to cause us to humble ourselves as we realize how lowly and how inferior we are and that we are no better than anyone else before God. And then once we have learned to see ourselves in this way, then we will then remove the sins of envy, anger, and hatred. And this is why that Paul has learned how agape love is not envious. And the reason that Paul has specifically referred to envy, in fact, that in, in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, 4, we know that we've been, you know, if um, some of us are, most of you are familiar with the context of 1 Corinthians, it was because that the church at Corinth was full of strife and division, you know, along with all those evil thoughts from, because of the brethren's jealousy of one another. The jealousy came from the rival camps of 
those who were called themselves of Apollos, of Cephas, of Paul. You know, and this caused them to be very competitive uh, in, 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 in their, you know, in, in, their, in, their, in their mindset and just their constant suspicions of, of the brethren. And when Paul talks about in First Corinthians uh, twelve, and you know, and even fourteen as well, concerning the spiritual gifts, like tongue speaking, for example, that, that we see that, that the competitive spirit amongst the brethren there, you know, some were so, uh, you know, zealous in making the claims that they had the better gifts than others, and uh, they they thought that the gift of tongues was the best gift, and therefore that uh, you know that they they had the best gift, they were the best persons, as compared to the other. Others who may have the lesser gifts, as you call, and Paul said, "No, don't look at it that way, you know, because love does not envy. You shouldn't be competitive. You shouldn't be envious of others. Love does not envy." So, from these cases that we have seen and learned, that jealousy or envy is more than just becoming a green-eyed monster. Jealousy and envy is actually a disposition of the heart that is competitive. Yeah, it is competitive where the starting point, the starting point is that one passionately feels more superior than others. So that's the starting point. You know, you're not talking about a competition where everybody feels that they feel that everyone is equal. He feels that he is better than others. And hence that he is boiling with unhappiness when he sees others are doing better than himself. This is what jealousy is about. It's a disposition of the heart. And of course, that with envy, one cannot avoid the feelings of anger and hatred. You know, which is also some of this bubbling, uh, burning passions and emotions that Zilu, the Greek word, should include as well. Because the Bible shows us the close connection between envy, uh, anger, and hatred. So from all these examples, we, we see that the burning, the bubbling, the boiling sinful passions are not the characteristics of agape love. That's why Paul said that love is not envious, to add to it, angry or hateful. That's an interesting passage on uh, from Galatians 4 on how the word zilu has been used. In fact, that they is used also in the positive sense in addition to the negative sense. Uh, in a, in a, of course, metaphorically speaking, I think that it's, 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 it's interesting to look at it as well. Galatians four seventeen to 18, where Paul said this, They zealously, that's the word, zealously caught you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous. That's the second word. Again, same word for them. Paul said, but it is good to be zealous. That's the, the third time it's used here. Yeah? In a good thing, always. And not always when I am present with you. So here the, the New King James Version translates zelu as zealously, as we have seen the first time, and then twice as zealous. So the first use of Paul's reference that they zealously caught you but for no good was a reference actually to the Judaizers, the, Jude, the Jewish teachers, you know, the, who were trying to infiltrate the church at Galatia. Uh, and they, 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 these, these people were, these, these false teachers, they were very ardent and boiling with passion. In, in trying to persuade the brethren in Galatia to follow their false teachings so that you know that they could be excluded from Christ. So that's why Paul said that they want to exclude you, exclude you from the gospel by telling teaching them to follow the laws of Moses and circumcision. Well, Paul said basically in, in verse 18, 
he said that it's a good thing to be zealous in a good thing always. In other words, what Paul meant was that, well, uh, there's nothing wrong with being zealous, boiling and burning with passion. But he says, but the boiling and burning of with passion should only be in a good thing, not like the false Jewish Judaizers with this misplaced sense of zeal. Their passion and their boiling passion and zeal was in the wrong place. I think that this was the reason why that Paul actually prayed for the Jews to turn around, because that he, he could see that the, the Jews of his days had this uh, misplaced sense of zeal or the misplaced sense of boiling passion. Uh, that they may turn to the gospel of Christ. That Paul writes in in Romans ten verses one and one to one to three, where he says this, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for to God for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear with them witness that they have a zeal. That's the word zeal. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So Paul was basically telling us here, these were Jews, they were not pagans. So they, they were zealous for God, naturally. The Jews were always very zealous for God. But the problem is that their boiling passion was not according to the teachings of the scriptures. And hence Paul prayed for them that they may wake up to their senses and submit to the righteousness of God and be saved. You see, so that means that in other words that, that there is a proper place for our boiling passions. I think that it is for this reason that Paul's teaching is that bre the brethren's boiling, bubbling passions or zeal uh, should be at the right place, which is for the glory of God and His church. Like Paul himself, you know, a slave of Christ, where brethren should be serving faithfully with great, with great zeal, doing the Lord's bidding as He has commanded us. We see a great example of it, uh, of the same Greek word being used again in 2 Corinthians 11 verses 1 to 4 where Paul writes that he says, Oh, that you would bear with me a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you, that's the word jealous, same Greek word, with a godly jealousy, that's the same Greek word, zelo, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ, but I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom you have, we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So Paul was basically uh, having a bit of sarcasm here as well. In, in, uh, where, but he said that I am jealous of you with, a God, with godly jealousy. As I say that this, this is from, this, these are from the same Greek word, zelu. But he, Paul uses in the positive sense of it. Where he is saying that I'm 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 jealous or zealous for you, uh, because why Christ is the bride of Christ, now the church is the bride of Christ, and Paul has got this deep love for the church, and hence that's why he said that what he was trying to do was to zealously or jealously trying to protect the church from the deceptive false teachers, which the brethren at Corinth were basically almost embracing them already. That's what Paul said, well, if you hear a different gospel, you must, you must well just put up with it. Basically, you're so flippant with your, in your attitude towards uh, the, 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 the truth of the gospel that, you, know, that you, are, you are not actually concerned about the, the preservation and the protection of the brighter purity of the Lord's church, of which Paul was. So Paul is basically saying that, well, yes, there are times that we should and must be jealous or zealous in a godly way, 
and one of those examples is basically uh, you can see is to be jealous or zealous for the purity of the church which Paul uh, was has always been so the boiling passion or zeal can also be seen in an example in a positive sense in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 12 speaking of spiritual gifts there where Paul said this in verse 12 even so you since you are zealous zilu, for spiritual gifts let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel uh, the word zealous here is that same word that same bubbly bubbling and boiling over word which we, we know of, Z, of zilu which this context implies you know that what Paul is basically telling the brethren at Corinth was well you should have a boiling desire and determination to pursue the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit yes but that's the but but your zeal must be tailored to the application of the gifts not for selfish prideful reasons but for the highest good of others in the church by using them to build the church up see so uh, this is the way that the, the, the scripture is teaching us to live rightly before God with faith and hope in Christ the way to live is that we develop this boiling passion of zeal in good works for Christ and for God's glory and that Paul in fact tells us that this is what Christians have been designed by God to be zealous or jealous for good works Titus 2 verses 11 to 13 or 14 rather where Paul said this for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. So as we close here, I think we have seen how the New Testament has applied the word zilu, Zillow depends on the context, as Tillerson, the comment, commentator, said earlier. Zillow is an extreme word, and it is usually connected to our passions and our emotions. So, when it is used in a negative sense, yeah, like jealousy or envy, it is usually connected with other sins, like anger, strife, evil thoughts, hatred, divisions and so forth which the bible condemns as sinful which paul said that agape love is not so agape love is none of this but when it's used in the positive sense of having that boiling passion to defend the lord's church in the purity of the lord's church or in its service of god and others which are good works the bible commands it hence what it teaches us is that if we must boil in our emotions and passions Let's then boil with passion for God's work and His glory instead. Agape love boils, but not with jealousy, but with passion for God's glory and the highest good of others. Agape love boils with jealousy, not for selfish reasons, but for the purity of Christ's church. And agape love will act to protect and preserve the church for Christ only. Agape love boils with anger and hatred, not out of selfishness and selfish jealousy or, or jealousy but for that which is evil and sinful and will do all it can to stay away from them and warn others of the same 
So from this from this from this verse in First Corinthians thirteen four, we have learned that agape love actually is not actually a jellyfish emotion, you know, where it sways around and is is spineless, but agape love is filled with great and godly passion. And is kind and patient, and it stands on God's side against all that is against truth and holiness. So when Paul said in First Corinthians thirteen that agape love is not envious. He meant that it does not boil with fervent passion for that which is evil. Agape love's passion is for all that belongs and are of God. This is some of God's characteristics as well, isn't it? And we can also, which we can see in the Bible, that these are characteristics of God. And this is the passion of agape love that Paul has described for us. So maybe take this lesson to heart and learn, you know, that、uh, never be jealous of others in a in a negative sense. But if you want to be jealous, be jealous for God's glory. Do all you all we can out of love to protect the glory of God, to defend it, and to teach it to others, so that others may come to to know Christ and for His glory. So let us all burn with passion and uh, and uh, and zeal for God, and and not as as the years go by, you know that、uh, we we shouldn't be slowing down in the work of the church and in the preaching of the gospel and in living the Christian life. You know, like it's it's not like、uh, people of the world where as they come towards the end of their 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 own careers that they they tend to slow down and, and sit back more. But for the Christian,、uh, we should always be zealous,、uh, regardless of our of our age or you know our our spiritual、uh, spiritual age itself. Yeah,、uh, the the zeal and 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 zealousness for God's work should always be consistent, and if not ever increasing, as as even as we grow older and do to our best abilities to serve Him and for His glory. Thank you.